wonderful encouragement and comfort as we come to the scriptures this morning that our life is hid with Christ, in Christ, with God. And what a privilege that we can know no matter what happens, no matter how dark the days become, that those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ crucified have absolute assurance that we will be kept, we will be preserved, and we will be brought all the way through to glory. Wonderful. This morning, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 24 as we continue our study of what is often known as the Olivet Discourse. It is the longest answer of Jesus to a question recorded in the New Testament. And Jesus is giving this discourse, this teaching, to his disciples who will become his apostles. They are sitting on the Mount of Olives, they're looking across the valley to Jerusalem, gleaming in the sun. And Jesus has just informed his disciples that the time is coming when that city and that temple is going to be destroyed. We know from history that actually happened in 70 AD at the hand of the Romans. But the disciples want to ask not just about that, but, but about that time when Israel will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When, when is the fulfillment of all the promises that God gave through the Old Testament prophets? When is the kingdom of God and of Christ going to be realized in its fullness? And this morning, we're going to continue our study. This is a challenging study mostly because of our unfamiliarity with the Old Testament prophets. So last Sunday, we looked mostly at principles for studying um, prophecy passages like this, speaking of the end times. This morning, we're going to do a little more background work and primarily looking at the Old Testament so that we have the same framework that Jesus and his disciples had as they sat there on the Mount of Olives. I'm going to read chapter 24, verses 1 through 41. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not go turn back to get his cloak. 
But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels and a great trumpet with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of the sky to the other. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand the flood until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. We'll stop there this morning. We need to pray and ask God to help us. Let's do that now. So, Father, we pray one more time to direct our hearts and our minds humbly to you. In humility, we recognize that the words of our Lord are not easy for us. We have questions. We pray that you, by your Spirit, would put within us a heart to learn, that you would give us minds open to the Scriptures, open to the Spirit, so that what our Lord intended to be impressed upon us might in fact be impressed upon us. We thank you that your word is clear, that it is not full of fables and codes and mysteries to be somehow unlocked. We praise you that through the scriptures you revealed truth. And so we pray now, Teach us, your servants listen. In Christ's name, amen. Are there rumors of war right now? Oh yeah. Various kinds of war, even nuclear war. There we are, we're back at it. So much for the promise of the goodness of the human heart and the mission of United Nations. There are wars and there are rumors of wars. These are difficult days to live in. These are disturbing days. 
And in a sense, they should be disturbing. If you are living a life largely without much, not much thought for God, not much thought for Jesus, if you are buying the lie of Satan that you could pretty much carve out a little niche and you and your family, if only you were smart enough and got enough money, could carve out this little perfect piece of paradise that maybe even one day could make it to HGTV and everybody's happy and without sickness and without sorrow here and now, all these bad news lines are obliterating your little dream. Mind add to that, we've been through a time where a disease went global. And while we understand that COVID may not have been as dire and deadly to all of us as our government wanted us to believe, nonetheless, it is deadly. And those of us who had it uh, know that it was nothing to joke about. Many of us know of people who died from it. And what was especially disturbing is the reminder that a disease can spread now globally within a matter of virtually days. These are the days we live in. And so if we are apart from God and apart from Christ and trying to carve out a little bit of our own little kingdom here and now, these kinds of news stories are ruining it. But I want you to know where you can lay the blame chiefly. Yes, in a sense, it is the sin of mankind, but in a sense, you can lay the blame at the feet of God. Why? Because he is sovereign over the universe, he is sovereign over time, and he is causing things to unfold according to his plan and his purposes for his glory. And so while there may be immediate causes for these things, evil actors and Satan and temptation, we need to be humbled and recognize that we are not the makers of time and we do not determine how things shall be. So in humility this morning, we need to set aside, in a sense, the, the false dream of self-sufficiency, of being unaffected by these things. We are made in the image of God. We live on his planet. We live within the framework of his time and his purposes. But thankfully, God has made it possible for we who are sinners to be reconciled to God so that we are not contrary to his ways, but that we can be reconciled to him and know that we are following Christ and that we are part of his kingdom and that we can actually enjoy the fulfillment of the promises of his plan. And so with that in mind, we come this morning to Matthew chapter 24. We are people who are living in difficult days and the disciples were as well. And if we take the scriptures seriously, we understand that God prophesied through his prophets that in the last days would be difficult times. And that there would be not the increase of peace, not the increase of health and wealth, but that this world and rebellion against God would go from bad to worse until one final time period when God would judge this earth. And finally, that his son, the Messiah, would reign. And so that orients us to this passage. And if you are living in these days, we want to listen to what Jesus has to say. We should be those who right now are very interested in what God has to say about future things. Unfortunately, there's been so much hype and speculation associated with teaching of prophecy maybe in in the last hundred years or so, that there are many professing believers who are somewhat agnostic about all things future. Prophecy somehow has become almost a bad word, almost the, the relegated to the quacks and the hucksters. And so we get nervous. Oh no, the pastor this morning is talking about prophecy. Well, yes, I am, because that is what Jesus is talking about. And we are just going through the scriptures And we are addressing what is there when we find it. And here in this chapter 24 and in chapter 25, Jesus is very concerned that his people understand what is going to happen. His disciples have asked, 
Verse 3, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus wants us to know. He doesn't want us to be in perpetual, not sure, don't have any idea. Jesus wants us to know. This is so serious. This is not just a a fad or a, a little hobby study. The Lord is about to be crucified. He has just been rejected by the leaders of Israel. He has just pronounced judgment upon Jerusalem. With his disciples, he's gone across the valley and ascended up the slopes of Olive. And with a broken heart, he's looking at Jerusalem. He who is the king and savior of Jerusalem. And with a broken heart, but with full certainty, he's answering his disciples' question. They're asking, when will these things be? And Jesus answers them. But unfortunately, because of who we are and our finite minds, and because of much controversy over what Jesus has said, there's, we're left as modern-day believers asking, in some ways, the same question of the disciples. We're asking, basically, what time period is Jesus talking about? What is he describing? And this is our primary concern this morning. We'll be looking at this passage probably for a few more weeks to come. This morning, we're primarily asking the question, what time is it? In other words, what, when does this happen, what Jesus is describing? We need to know. He wants us to know. He's talking about the sign of his coming and the end of the age. We're especially a little bit confused because in chapter 24, verse 34, look there with me, and here is the verse that gives us our trouble, our difficulty. And again, we don't want to say to the Lord, well, Lord, you, you tried to be clear, but you didn't do so well. We have to recognize the problems with us. But we have a question about verse 34. Jesus has just described all of these signs, persecution, wars, rumors of wars, famine, signs in the sky, even his own glorious return, which is as distinct as lightning on a hot summer day. And he says, when you, verse 33, when you see all all these things, all these things recognize that he is near right at the door. And then he says, verse 34, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Well, obviously those things did not all take place when in the generation of the apostles. There are some who actually teach that it did. They're called preterists. They believe that all of these things that Jesus talked about were fulfilled in the years up to and including the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD by the Romans. And that what we all need to do is recognize that all of these signs and wars and rumors and wars and even the return of Christ, that this is all just metaphorical, allegorical language that Jesus is using. And if only we understood, Jesus actually returned in 70 AD and the elect were gathered. Wow. Well, I missed that bus. Did you? Um, and these things have not happened. If, if we say that these things have happened and were fulfilled in 70 AD, then language no longer means anything. You have to basically undo everything Jesus says here. So how are we to understand verse 34? And this is my main concern this morning, because this is the main concern with this passage. What time is Jesus talking about? It's hard for us, but... I want to bring forward a principle that I put before you last week, that to understand the New Testament revelation, we just need to go back to the old. Maybe I shouldn't say we just. We do. We go back to the old. And we need to remember in humility as Gentiles, primarily, here in Chichester, New Hampshire in 2022, we are not nearly familiar with the Old Testament prophecies as much as the disciples or Jesus at this moment. 
These disciples sitting at Jesus' feet, they have the prophecies of Daniel and Ezekiel and Zechariah and Joel and Obadiah in their hearts and in their minds. This is what they're waiting for. They are taking the prophecies at face value. They believe that God is going to send the Messiah and the Messiah is going to usher in the kingdom of God on earth. And Jesus does nothing to discourage their anticipation. Note that. At no point in his teaching to the disciples does Jesus say to the disciples, oh, you guys got it all wrong. Those prophecies, they weren't literal. God was just trying to give you language which you could kind of relate to. And what God really meant is that, well, he'll build the church and, and I'll come again and things will generally work out. That's a whole lot of ink and blood to spill in the Old Testament for just that kind of vague concept. The disciples believed that what God had written would come to pass, and Jesus did. He does nothing to undermine their confidence in the Old Testament scriptures. However, they were mistaken in that they were overlooking what God had said about a time period referred to frequently in the Old Testament prophets as the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is, is just uh, synonymous with a time of coming end times judgment in which God will judge this earth in an unprecedented manner, but especially work with his judging Israel and purging Israel so that there is just a remnant of godly believers left. This is the message of Isaiah, of Jeremiah, of Ezekiel. I mean, this is the message of the prophets, that a great day of judgment is coming. In particular, Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25 is, I believe, and what our church would teach, is referring to a literal seven-year period of tribulation that is coming in the future. Everything Jesus is describing here, while there may have been uh, precursors to it in the judgment of God upon Jerusalem and the destruction in 70 AD. Everything Jesus is speaking of here ultimately finds its fulfillment in the tribulation. Where do we get that word tribulation from some kind of prophecy um, author? No. Did you notice Jesus calls it that? So I'm going to hide behind Jesus for those. Jesus calls it the tribulation, and Jesus calls a part of that tribulation the great tribulation. That's not a new idea with dispensationalism or the last few hundred years. That is the teaching of Jesus, that there will be a great tribulation. Now, my concern this morning, and I, I hope this is helpful, because last week I recognized I referred to Daniel and the seven-year period and... I know it's confusing, and my, my burden as a Bible teacher, preacher, is to show the people that I teach and preach and shepherd what I teach, how it comes from the Bible. I want you to see it. I don't want you to just take my word for it. So this morning, I want to help us with an Old Testament understanding of this seven-year period, which is dominating Jesus' thinking. And so it's going to seem like we're going away from Matthew 24. But did you notice, for example, in chapter 24, that Jesus, in verse 15, refers to the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet? So he's referring us and the disciples to the prophecies of Daniel. Did you notice that Jesus referenced in verse 30, the time when all the tribes will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds and the sky with power and glory? That's from the prophecy of Daniel. Even the title, the Son of Man, in verse 37, that is revealed in the prophecy of Daniel. I'm, I'm pointing you to those references, not merely to support that Daniel's prophecy is largely in Jesus's mind as he's teaching in the Olivet Discourse, but as a broader general principle that the Old Testament prophecies concerning God's timeline and the unfolding of history, redemptive history, dominated the mind and heart of Jesus. And if we're going to understand what Jesus is talking about in the Olivet Discourse and 
all of these tumultuous events, we must orient our hearts and our minds to what God had already revealed. And in particular, this idea of a seven-year tribulation period, it sounds to us, some of us, as strange as, as, as maybe the manufacturing of some modern-day evangelical guy who wants to write a really popular series like Left Behind. Um, I, I've never read the series. Some of you have. It's, it's fine. It, I just, it's just, unfortunately, through some of the fiction and some of the movies and some of the uh, hucksters who are put out dates about possibility of Jesus's return, this whole idea of a period of tribulation, one seven-year period, has received a bad rap, especially among those who are, like us, of a Reformed theology mindset, especially in Reformed circles. It's, this is, this is uh, if not laughable, it's, it's, it's just really concerning. It's, it's, uh, this is thought to be unworthy of, of the Scriptures, And I want to show you this morning that this idea of a seven-year unprecedented time of tribulation that is what Jesus is describing in the Olivet Discourse comes directly from what has been revealed in the Old Testament. So our question is, what do the scriptures say? And I want to show you this morning that the scriptures consistently speak of a seven-year period of tribulation that will occur in the last days before the return of Jesus to this earth. And that this is, by and large, the period of time that Jesus is describing in the Olivet Discourse and that the Apostle John describes in most of the book of Revelation. It's also a period of time known as, not the tribulation, but as the day of the Lord. This is the Similar period of time. As I said, a time of unprecedented judgment upon the world generally, but in particular, a time of judgment in which God is refining and purifying Israel. And remember that when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he is speaking to the men who in Matthew chapter 19, he said in verse 28, To his disciples, these same men, that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man, there's that Daniel Messianic title, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, he says to these disciples, you shall sit upon the twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So Jesus is speaking to the men who will not only be the foundation, the apostles along with the prophets of the church, but the men who Christ will honor by giving charge over renewed and redeemed remnant of the nation Israel in the last days. So as he speaks to them, when he says you, he's speaking to the leaders of that remnant of Israel in the last days. And notice one other, just as we kind of orientate, orient before we look at the seven-year references in the Old Testament, the idea did you notice in verse 15 that the Holy Spirit, when he had Matthew record this gospel and this exchange, this answer to the disciples, that verse 15 in Holy Scripture gives us, and on my Bible it's in parentheses, but it's in the original. This is what the Holy Spirit, Jesus is answering his disciples, but there's a little note, let the reader understand So as Jesus is speaking to his disciples in that generation, in that time, he is speaking to them as representatives of his church and representatives of the ultimate redeemed nation of Israel. And he's speaking knowing that we will be listening in. Jesus is giving a word not only to his disciples in that moment, but to we who are here today, the church, and in particular... Our gracious, loving master, who is the king of Israel, is giving a word of comfort and encouragement to a group of believers who endure a period of time that Jesus says is unlike any other that has happened until that point or will happen later. 
What a gracious Lord. So in verse 15, Jesus of chapter 24 references, alludes to the abomination of desolation. We need to do a little homework this morning, and I invite you to turn with me to first to Daniel chapter 9. If you don't want to turn to these passages, you can just listen. But we're going to turn rather quickly, so see if you can keep up. If you can't, that's okay. You can listen. But in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, God sends an angel. His name happens to be Gabriel. I think that's a good name. And... uh, Uh, And angel Gabriel says to Daniel in verse 24, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. 70 weeks. Now that's what's confusing. Um, What is he talking about, 70 weeks? I here really wish, I I think English translations are unhelpful. Um, I really wish it was 70 sevens. Now, you're saying you wish the Bible. No, no, you have to understand in the Hebrew, it's 70 sevens. It's the same word. I'm not going to pronounce it. Shabbat, Shabbati. It's it's 70 sevens. If you saw the Hebrew, if you heard the Hebrew, you'd be like, those are just very similar words. It's not the word for week. 70 sevens. Now, we have seven days in a week, which is why the English translators put a week. What's, what's seven? What's a period of seven? We think of it as a week. But in the Old Testament, the Israelites thought not only in terms of seven days, hang with me, but in periods of seven years. And I want to show this to you. So throughout the rest of our time, I'm going to be using, this is the best I can come up with, seven year periods of time. I, that's, how, that's what is meant there. 77-year periods of time. 77s of years. Where, how do I know that? Where am I getting this from? What, what prophecy book have I been reading? Uh, Leviticus. So let's turn together to Leviticus chapter 25. I want you to see this. I think this is going to be helpful to you this morning, this background. Leviticus Numbers, Deuteronomy. We're going to spend a little time in Leviticus. I want you to see how this is, this idea of seven-year units or seven-year periods is in the heart and mind of Jewish thinking from the very beginning of God's giving the law. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 1 through 4. Then the Lord spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I shall give you, then the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its crop. But during the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath rest. A Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. Seven year periods of time may sound strange to us, but it was the commandment of God given to the Israelites that every seventh year was to be a Sabbath year. In other words, the people of Israel were, as God's people, at that time and under that covenant, to think and live in terms of sevens of years. Does that make sense? They were to note, upon their entry into the land, you start counting not only days, because on the seventh day is the Sabbath day, but you count years. Year one, year two, year three, year five, four, year five, year six, it's a Sabbath year, year seven. And in that seventh year, the fields were to lie fallow. The land was allowed, the, the trees were not to be pruned. The people were to trust God 
that in the sixth year he would provide such a bounty of food that they would have enough for the seventh year. But God knew that they would not obey his law. Actually, I want to back up. I want you to look at verse, I've missed verse 8. Just to reinforce this concept that they were to think in terms of sevens of years. Seven-year units, seven-year periods of time. In verse 8, God says to Israel, you also are to count off seven Sabbaths of years. That's it. Seven sevens of years. Do you see it? I mean, what, what's a Sabbath of years? That's seven seven-year periods of time. You shall count off seven Sabbaths of years for yourselves, seven times seven years, so that you have the time of the seven Sabbaths, namely 49 years. So where do we get this idea of seven-year periods? Right there. It's in the beginning. It's in the law. And the reason they were to mark this is not only was every seventh year to be a Sabbath, but after seven seven-year periods, which would be 49 years, on the 50th year was to be the year of? You know that. Ha-ha. You know this. The year of Jubilee happens after seven sevens of years. You see it? But God knew that Israel would not obey his law. It was too incredulous to them to trust God and obey his command to let the fields lie fallow every seventh year, to give up the prophet. It was crazy in the eyes of the world. Who in their right mind every seventh year would leave the tractors and the oxen, if you will, in the barn, not sow any seed, but say to men and women around the nations around who are asking you, what are you doing? Well, this year we're going to trust God to give us our food. Even here this morning, we think, wow, I don't know if I could do that. I'm putting myself in that category. But that's what they were to do. It was very serious. It was one of the built-in calendar ways in which Israel proclaimed that Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel, was their God and that he provided for them, just like he provided them in the wilderness. Well, they didn't. So through Moses in Leviticus 26, God prophesied that judgment would come for their refusal. So God commanded them at Mount Sinai that they were to recognize every seventh year. God knew they would not. And so God prophesied through Moses all the way back in Leviticus 26. What would happen? Verse 34 and 35, because they will not do that, God said he would judge them, and then the land would enjoy its Sabbaths all the days of its desolation while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land will rest to enjoy its Sabbaths all the days of its desolation. It will observe the rest which it did not observe on your Sabbath while you were living on it. In other words, God says all the way back in Leviticus 26, for every seventh year of the seven year periods that you do not obey me and and recognize as a Sabbath year, I'm going to mark it and a day's coming when I will keep count and the land will be given its Sabbath rest. And lo and behold, that's what happened. God prophesied through Jeremiah the prophet in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. If you want to turn there, 2 Chronicles, verse 36. This is 2 Chronicles is describing the time when the Babylonians came, overthrew Jerusalem, tore down the wall, burned the temple, obliterated everything, hauled all the people off into exile, including a young Daniel. Why did all this happen? Why did Judah and Jerusalem, why was Israel overthrown? Why did the Babylonians do what they did? Second Chronicles 36, verse 19. Then they burned, speaking of the Babylonians, they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its fortified buildings with fire, destroyed all its valuable articles, 
Those who escaped the sword he carried away to Babylon. They were servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. Why? Here's the key. Verse 21. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. Why 70? Why 70? Because there were 77-year periods in Israel's history in which they did not recognize the seventh year Sabbath rest. So we may think seven-year periods, oh boy, that's speculation, when in reality, according to Holy Scripture, it was part and parcel of the revelation of God to his people Israel. Their whole exile and destruction and 70 years in Babylon, the 70 years was expressly because of their disobedience. Turn now to Daniel. Ezekiel, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel, in verse 2 of Daniel 9, this godly man who is one of the young exiles who was taken out of Jerusalem, off and carried into the land of the Babylonians. He was a godly man and he was reading the prophecies of Jeremiah. And he says in verse 2, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So Daniel's recognizing we are experiencing judgment. Jerusalem and the land is going to get 70 years without us because we did not obey God. And we did not submit to these recognizing every seventh year as a Sabbath year. With that, then, we come to Daniel chapter 9, 24. We come back to it. Do you see now when the angel Gabriel says to Daniel that 77s, remember, weeks, it's, it's if, if you really, weeks of years, but that makes no sense to an English audience, right? Weeks of, what's a week of years? I don't know what a week of years is. So I encourage you to put a little pencil mark and put 77s. Because the word is sevens. Sevens of what? 77, 70 of the seven year periods have been decreed, Daniel, for your people and your holy city. One year, I'm sorry, 77-year periods have been decreed for Daniel's people. We know who Daniel's people are. Look at verse 20. Daniel says, I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people. Who, who, who are his people? Right there, black on white. It's right in the context. And what's the city? Verse 20, the holy mountain of God. It's Jerusalem. So God says to Gabriel to Daniel, says, Daniel, you're praying, you're wondering what's going to happen, when are you going to turn? I'm going to tell you not only when you're going to return, I'm going to tell you about the unfolding of history. According to Daniel 9, verse 25, there were to be a total of 69 seven-year periods. Between the decree to rebuild the temple, it would take seven, seven-year periods. So you see here in verse 25, it gets a little confusing, but the seven sevens and the 62 sevens. That's seven, seven-year periods and 62 seven-year periods. That's a, you know, so it would take, what's going on there? Okay, seven times seven is 49 years. It would take 49 years to rebuild the temple and the wall of Jerusalem, including the moat and everything, from the decree of Artaxerxes to Nehemiah. It would take 49 years, and that's what happened. 
And then should we be surprised? I know we think, wow, what are all these numbers about? Well, get this. If you add a Jewish calendar of 360 years, this is not, you know, this is not speculation. If you take 69 times 7 years, you end up with about 483 years, three years. Which biblical scholars tell us that from the decree of Artaxerxes to Nehemiah around 440 B.C., and you work at that, out that Jewish calendar, lands you right around the time of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Whatever you do with the numbers, you have to acknowledge that God was so specific to Daniel. Daniel, here's going to be the period of time, 49 years until the temple is built, and here's going to be the complete time, 7 plus 62, 69, 483 years until the coming of the Messiah and he even told us he would be cut off. In the, he would be cut off. The Messiah would be cut off. And here we are in the Gospel of Matthew learning about the suffering and soon the death of Jesus Christ. So there were 69 seven-year periods between the decree by Artaxerxes to return for the Jews to return and rebuild Jerusalem and, and the temple. God fulfilled his word perfectly in that that's exactly the time on when Jesus came. Some dispute whether it was maybe the beginning of his ministry or whether it was his triumphal entry. I say either one. That's okay. I'm not going to get lost over that. God revealed to Daniel down to the years how long it would be until the Messiah came. 483 years before it happened. Does time matter? Yeah, (laughs) it matters. We may blow it off. We may say it's speculation, but God takes it very seriously. He told his servant, I want you to know, Daniel, there will be seven seven seven-year periods of time before the temple and Jerusalem are rebuilt, and then add to that another 62 seven-year periods, and then you'll see the Messiah. But he'll be cut off. And remember, Daniel, God had said that there's 70 weeks altogether, which means that there's one seven-year period remaining. Do, do you see this? This is, this is, it's right here. It's in the scriptures. Seven years, some say. Are you sure? We, we know we're running out of time. But adding further underscoring the fact of a remaining, there being one remaining seven-year period left in God's timetable that Jesus is referring to in the Olivet Discourse. There are numerous scriptures in Daniel and Revelation that refer to specific months and amount of days within that remaining seven-year period. For example, turn back to Daniel 7, verse 25. Just show you a few of them quickly. God is again revealing to Daniel the unfolding of history. In the last days, there will be one evil kingdom remaining, the Antichrist. And he will speak out against the Most High. And towards the end of verse 25, the people of Israel will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. That's one year, two years, and half a year. That's three and a half years. Um, how can we know that? Uh, Daniel eight fourteen. Daniel chapter 8, verse 14. The angel says to Daniel, there will be 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the holy place will be properly restored. Every evening and morning is one day. So divide 2,300 by... Yes, I didn't come to math class this morning. But 2,300 divided by 2... 1,150, where are you? You're right around three and a half years. Daniel 12, verse 11. All I'm trying to do right now, my singular goal is to show you that a seven-year period remains and God is specific about not just the years, but down to the days. What we make of the days and what's going to happen, that's for another time. I'm just trying to show, demonstrate that this is an actual period of time. Daniel 12, verses 11 and 12. There God says to Daniel, 
from the time of the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation, which Jesus refers to, there will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. I'm tempted right now to ask those of you with your phone to take it out, to take the calendar, to put in 1,260 days and divide it by 360 and see what you come up with. It's going to be right around 3.5, 3.5. It's interesting when we go to Revelation, you want to turn just a few more references. I know we're going to be closing here in a few moments. Revelation chapter 11, verse 2. Again, all I'm trying to do here is to support that the Bible teaches one seven-year period remaining for God's working, in particular, with the people of Israel and the bringing in the end of the age. Revelation 11, verse 2, an angel says, God says to an angel, Leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations. They will tread it underfoot, the holy city, for 42 months. What's that? About three and a half years. Uh, Revelation 12, 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that she would be nourished for 1,260 days. What's that about? Three and a half years. Uh, There's another reference to 42 months in Revelation 13.5. All I am trying to do is to remove from you the fear of, oh no, if I believe in a literal seven-year tribulation, I'm identifying with some prophecy guru. I'm just showing you this is in the scriptures. And I can imagine a scene in glory in the future. We come and we say to God or to Christ, I I hope this doesn't happen. You you don't want this to happen. God, we believed your word was perspicuity. Perspicuous? Clear? (laughs) Can't even pronounce that word. Clear. We believed your word was clear. We believe that you, you revealed to us the things concerning the gospel and concerning Christ. We believe that your word is sufficient, and, and we, we thank you for it. But we have to say, Lord, we had a really hard time with, with your talking about 42 months and, and 1,260 days or, or 1,335 We just didn't know what you meant. I could just picture this scene. Jesus looking at us saying, Really? Really? You didn't know what I meant? 42 months? You had the whole revelation of the sabbatical system of seven, 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 every seventh year, these seven-year periods? You, you didn't know? You, had, you saw that the exile in Babylon took 70 years, one year for each of the violation of those seven-year periods, and you don't know what 42 months is? You, you don't know what 1,260 days is? And to my friends, my millennial friends who they just, and I mean that, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, it's, you can't get specific. Then it means nothing. It means nothing. The days mean nothing. It's, it's just anyone's game as to what 1260 means or 1335. How can you say 1335 is more significant than 1260? It just means what it means. It just means what it says. It's not, the issue is not that it's not clear. I don't know what the issue is. I don't know why we have a hard time taking God's word at face value. Well, this background is crucial to consider because what Jesus, back to Matthew 24, and we're going to end here, what Jesus says to his disciples takes place, refers to, and takes place in that remaining seven-year period, we often refer to as the tribulation, especially the second half, the second three-and-a-half-year period of that tribulation, which Jesus calls the Great Tribulation. 
So as we look in the weeks ahead, as we ask that, what time is it? What is Jesus talking about? It helps us greatly to know that these things are not in the past. And though there are wars and rumors of wars and famines right now, and in a sense, we are experiencing what Jesus refers to as the birth pangs. In other words, as, as time moves forward, we understand these things are getting worse and they are getting worse and they are getting worse. But we understand that what Jesus is doing is he's actually answering the question his disciples asked. What is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? He tells us. So what is the implications for us? Because we don't have time this morning, but we believe and teach that the church will be raptured, will be that Christ will come and call for us and we will meet him in the clouds. He's not returning to earth. He will remove the church before that period of tribulation. It's another time, another sermon. But that period, remember, is primarily for Daniel's people and the holy city to fulfill God's purposes with Israel and render judgment upon this world. So if we're looking for the return of Christ at any moment, we're not looking for a the seven-year period, and then Jesus comes for us. We're looking for Christ to come at any moment, and I do not expect that I will go through that seven-year tribulation. Nonetheless, Jesus' teaching here is for all of us. He is calling all of us in every generation to be ready. That as times advance, and as we hear of wars and rumors of war, famine and disease as we see this world catapulting into perversity that is unimaginable and on a scale with our technology that was beyond the imagination of previous generations, as things that in previous generations maybe seemed impossible, how would everybody have to, how could, how could the whole world be controlled by one man, by Antichrist? Well, now we, <laughs> this is not hard. We're worried about being controlled and being tracked in our devices. And this isn't speculation. This is, we understand things are heading towards a time of fulfilling of all God's promises. So we cannot think that this time period may still be a long ways off. It may be very near. And that's what Jesus' point is. He's going to come back to it again and again. Do not be deceived. When false messiahs rise up, when people make, like, make claims to be Christ, don't believe it. But at the same time, be ready for your master. And I want to close, especially in verse 6. What a gracious Lord, what a gracious Savior and King. That his people who he knew would live in such evil and dark days that through the ages and through the periods of time that he would call for us to not be afraid. That generation, I need some of you are wondering, we didn't answer the question, verse 34, so what is this generation? I believe it's this generation that is going to be alive in that tribulation period. This generation that the prophets spoke of, the remnant that Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel spoke of, this generation will not be left until all things have been fulfilled. That future generation living alive during that time. But all of us are to live in anticipation of our Lord. And verse 6, we are not to be frightened. See that you are not frightened. These things must take place. Doesn't that orient you? Doesn't that settle your soul that as we hear of war and even the possibility of nuclear war? We know as we leave this place this morning, we can know the God and the Christ who is in charge of all things and all times and that everything is unfolding on schedule. All that we must do is be looking for and anxiously awaiting our Lord's return for us, and then the unfolding of these things, and it can be at any time. So what sort of people ought we to be?
in holiness and fear. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'll help us to meditate and muse on these things, give clarity where there may be confusion. We pray most of all that as a result of our study, that our hearts may be fixed on Jesus, our great King, and that we may consider how to live in these days in a way that demonstrates the unfolding of your plan. Help us to hold loosely to this world, knowing that all these things are going to be burned up. And help us to spend the little time that we have remaining to make the most of our lives for the glory of our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.